Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. From high atop Fox News headquarters in New York City, always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. We have so many choices about what to lead with, what to have in the show. We'll try to cover it all. Andy McCarthy standing by for the latest on the uh, on the Trump attack. Uh, this is another. Uh, this one, uh, you know, you could get on Donald Trump and you could say, hey, wait a second. What, why'd you challenge the Georgia state election? You could say, Mr. President, why were you thinking taking all those documents? Even you could be the biggest Trump supporter. You could ask yourself, why create trouble? But this last one to me s- smells like pure politics. Republican president uh, who uh, made his name in New York. And has an attorney general wants to make her name. That's what this is about. We'll discuss all that. And, we'll, of course, take your calls. Call Shimkus at the bottom of the hour. She actually asked me, after, as I led Fox and Friends, she said, Brian, can I make a suggestion on what we're going to talk about? So being a nice person I am, I said, okay, uh, what do you think, Carly? What would you like to talk about? And she told me she wants to talk about what's going on with Russia. And I said, okay, but it's not part of the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. How long from here should Americans be prepared for that economic pain? How long? I mean, it, it, it really depends on how long it takes for wages and, and more than that, prices to, to come down, for, for inflation to come down. Uh, there it is. Um, the prediction from Mr. T in Rocky Three: pain. That's what Jerome Powell was saying with less flamboyance. Economy, the Fed, banking, the circus on Capitol Hill, and what it all means to you and your family finances. Number two. We're learning those activists suing Florida Governor Ron DeSantis for dropping 50 migrants on Martha's Vineyard are heavily funded by George Soros, receiving nearly $1.4 million from his Open Society Foundations. Uh, that is uh, Griff Jenkins. Bring it on. That's the message from Governor DeSantis as the illegal immigrants who landed after signing a permission slip on this beautiful Isle of Martha's Vineyard. They are now suing. No joke. A massive seizure of fentanyl in Florida. Enough to kill four million people should be the lead story. But everyone's playing politics. Number one. This investigation revealed that Donald Trump engaged in years of illegal conduct to inflate his net worth, to achieve, to deceive banks and the people of the great state of New York. Yeah, uh, Letitia James, the attorney general, in a tougher fight to keep her job than she thought. The Trump attack reaches new lows as an attorney general makes it clear it's personal and political. What the civil lawsuit says and why the Trump needs to win for all of us to win meaning supporters and detractors. With me right now to discuss it, break it down, Andy McCarthy, Fox News contributor, author of Ball of Collusion. So, Andy, I read your column. I know where you're going with this. First off, for people at home wondering, uh, what lawsuit is this? It's a civil lawsuit against his company, includes his kids. They want about over $200 million back in restitution. But the people that should be complaining are the banks, and the banks got their money back and more, right? Yeah, this is uh, not exactly the Bernie Madoff case, is it, Brian? 
um, you know, there's no victims here, which is why, um, you know, for all of her bells and whistles at the press conference yesterday, uh, every prosecutor and the prosecutors crawled through Trump's financial records for three years. Federal prosecutors. This case started. I was. I had a laugh at the end of her or during her press conference when she talked about how she was referring the case, referring her complaint to the Justice Department. The Justice Department had this case in the first place, um, and they looked at it very hard. They decided that Michael Cohen was not a promising foundation to build a uh, a fraud case on. Who would have thought? You know. Uh, yeah. Right. Um, and then, uh, you know, uh, who was it? The Manhattan District Attorney Cyrus Vance did his kind of Captain Ahab's quest for Trump's financial records, went up to the Supreme Court twice to finally get them. And when they got them, they realized there wasn't a case there. So, I mean, they have a minor case that they brought against uh, uh, Weisselberg, who was Trump's uh, top financial guy at the organization. And they kept running around saying, we got him to plead to 15 counts. But what they don't tell you is he's going to do all of 100 days in jail, but, you know, it's it's penny ante stuff, and it's the same stuff that they're using uh, next month to have a trial against the Trump organization on the same minor tax stuff. But again, they were really trying to make a case on Trump and his children, and they couldn't. Uh, the feds gave up on this a couple of years ago because they didn't think there was anything there. I think that's important, Brian, because I can tell you, I was a prosecutor in that office for 20 years. Um, they don't give away an attractive case to the state. You know, if the Southern District of New York thinks there's a case there, they take the case. And, uh, and by the way, you could be, the that state. could make your career, right? For, forever, you're linked to the they, Tyson that's case. Those, or, that's, what those, yeah. that's what those terrible, ambitious prosecutors hope. <laughs> uh, um, so, I was one of them, I know. So, I, you know, look, they don't, they don't uh, give away a case, especially, you know, look, for a lot of the uh, people who... Uh, the lawyers in that office care about, there's no more attractive target on the planet than Donald Trump. So if they could have made a big old fraud case against Trump, they'd have been delighted to do so, it. They so let me, didn't have the evidence. So why is it, I mean, I cannot believe this attorney general is on the record saying things like this about Donald Trump prior to yesterday. Cut seven. No one is above the law, including this illegitimate president. And so I look office of attorney general every day suing him defending your rights and then going home i say one name donald trump that should motivate you will you will you sue him for us oh we're gonna definitely sue him we're gonna be a real pain in the so having great fun posting on social media goes ahead and does it now with uh, i saw that Alan Dershowitz said the first thing he would do if I'm, with, if I'm his attorney is try to dismiss his case on things like that. Will that work, trying to dismiss it on uh, on first blush? Yeah, well, I think Alan's instincts are right. I just wish that I had any confidence the state of New York would do that. You know, the thing, Brian, that you have to realize, especially with New York, but with a lot of states, is that unlike the federal government, where law enforcement positions are appointed positions. So, like, for example, when Bill Barr or Merrick Garland was attorney general, they get nominated by the president. They have to get vetted by the Senate. Uh, the Senate grills them hard to make sure they're not going to use the law as a political weapon. That's a big issue in every confirmation. That's the way that system works. In New York, it's totally different. We don't insulate law enforcement from politics. These are elected positions. 
So politics infects the legal system. And unfortunately, uh, the political force in New York that really punches above its weight is hardcore progressives. They're, they uh, are the, they're the juice in the Democratic Party. Uh, they but, but, Andy, but, 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 if I'm, but if you're trying me and I say, look, she hates me. This is personal. Look at the tape. Does that help your case? It depends on who your jury is, right? I mean, so if you're in a jury in New York and you get a bunch of anti-Trump zealots on the jury, that might be appealing. Unbelievable. Do you need uh, unanimous? Do they have to be unanimous? Uh, in a civil case, look, Brian, I don't think this case is ever going to trial. This is going to take years. But um, uh, in some cases, you're entitled to a jury. In some cases, the, the juries have to be unanimous, but not usually in, in uh, civil cases. But if this case ever gets to trial, I'll, I'll eat my hat. It's not happening. Look, Letitia James does this all the time. She did the same thing with Cuomo. She, you know, she does this long investigation. She figures out a way to dump the investigation into the public record because she's got her eyes on his job. Uh, she dumps out a bunch of stuff that she was never able to prove. I'm not. I don't. I'm not carrying a brief for Cuomo. Cuomo. I think he's a bad guy. But um, you know, she never even tried to sue him. And even though she put out a book length investigation findings, there's not a single prosecutor in the state of New York who was able to make or tried even to make a case. So I'm. I'm so confused. One may have tried. Andy, I'm really confused. Because what they're trying to do is stop him from doing business for five years, uh, trying to get financing anywhere. In the meantime, while this investigation's going, how does he conduct his business? Is he affected? Does he just say, hey, I mean, that's my team of attorneys. You deal with New York. But is he going to be hindered from doing anything with banks? You know, you know Brian, you have, you have to think about it from the perspective of what would you do if you were a financial institution? I mean, there's risk here now, right? So... Uh, I, I don't want to pretend that because I think this case is nonsense that it, it means no consequences for Trump. I think there'll be severe consequences for Trump. I would just add this. Um, it's not just Trump. If you're, a, if you're a, some business institution and you're thinking about whether New York is a place where you want to set up shop and do business, I think you want to think twice about that because if you have a legal environment like this one, that's so thoroughgoingly politicized uh, and where the prosecutors yeah. use the power that they get from the from the public in order to go after their political enemies. And they think their political enemies are like the one percent and the rich and the profitable companies. If I if, I, if it were me, I open the business in Florida, you know, or someplace else. not uh, New York. Right. But like if like a, a Florida bank has their. Headquarters in New York, obviously, that's problematic, and you don't get the biggest institutions outside of New York City. But that's for some of them work out, and then people say, hey, aren't you being sued? I don't know if I should lend to you. Now, in this lawsuit, in the 200-plus pages, they say things like, well, you said in order to get financing that you had a 30,000-foot apartment. It's 10,000-foot. You said that Mar-a-Lago is $300 million. It's actually worth $74 million. So uh, things like that. Does that matter? Because I always thought institutions like Deutsche Bank, who he took most of his money from, they're the ones who call the attorney general and go, listen, I'm being screwed by X, Y, and Z real estate mogul. Instead, they got paid back. They have no problem. An attorney general hunts and examines and sees and then files. But, the, but the, there is no hurt party here. And I say that as a pedestrian, not as obviously a, a, legal, uh, a great legal mind. It doesn't seem like anybody's yeah. hurt. 
Brian, I think you're right. I mean, you look, I was, someone asked me yesterday, do you, do you think um, she could say that the taxpayers were the victims? And I'm like, how could she, how could you say the taxpayers were the victims? If, if Trump gets a loan, if Trump says my net worth is a billion dollars, and it turns out his net worth is actually $50 million, but on the basis of him saying it was a billion, now let's, we're not in the real world now, right? In the real world, the bank has its own appraisers. They're not going to rely on Trump's say so, right? They're going to do their own uh, due diligence. But let's say, just for argument's sake, I give Trump the loan as the bank on the basis of his misrepresentation that he's worth 20 times more than he yes. actually uh, is worth. If he pays the loan back, who gets hurt? Nobody. You know, I mean, you can, you can say that. Yes, he got more favorable terms than the average person would get, but the average person ain't worth fifty million either. But yeah. and, and you I know, Andy, the, it's the whole theory of if I have a town, if I'm in Ohio, and I go, you know, it would be great to have a Donald Trump hotel in Ohio. I'm going to give him a two percent loan, perhaps if I could work it out, because my theory is if I could get that beautiful Trump a hotel. In Dayton, I'll get more people, I'll get more traffic, I'll get more tourists, I'll get more conventions. That's a risk you take as a public official, and you get lower terms. That's why Amazon in New York, people try to lure Amazon in with better terms. That's something AOC never understood. It doesn't mean you're helping the rich. You're helping the rich bring their enterprise to your city to bring in more revenue for everybody. What, am, I, am I right with this calculus? You're not only you're not only right that that's the calculus. Nobody makes that argument more than Democratic politicians do. Think of the argument that Kathy Hochul, the governor of New York, made for why the taxpayers should subsidize the two billionaires who live in Florida uh, to build a stadium for the Buffalo Bills. Right. She made the argument that exactly the argument that you just made, that if we you know, if we bring this, we we build this great new stadium, uh, it's going to be. Uh, you know, a magnet for all kinds of business and commerce, and in the long run, the taxpayers are going to make out much better. Now, in point of fact, I think they often don't make out much better, and these things are, you know, right. That's whole, a, that's a whole different argument. Yeah, yeah. But but you, the argument you made uh, is exactly the same argument that Democratic politicians make when they think it's good for them. Right. So uh, I want to get to the the raid case. The appeals court allows the DOJ to resume review of the classified records after it was put on hold. But the special master listened to both sides. The Trump team did not put up an argument when asked, did Donald Trump, how did Donald Trump declassify these records? They had no answer. So now for the next day, an appeals court looked at this, and two of the uh, two of the three judges are Trump appointees, and said, "DOJ, have at it. Go, go back to looking to see if any uh, laws were violated with these documents." Am I correct? Yeah, and they may have the Eleventh Circuit Court of Appeals in Florida may actually have done Trump a favor here because they just—I mean, look—they ruled against him, and he deserved to be ruled against his, his legal position was meritless and it was not a very good, uh, not very good legal reasoning by judge cannon, the judge down in Florida who started all this rolling. But as you point out, uh, judge Deary, who is the special master up in Brooklyn, he was suggested by Trump and agreed to by the, the justice department. He's not buying this idea that they declassified that Trump declassified the documents. He was going to make Trump's lawyers put on evidence which they didn't want to do, that Trump had declassified the documents. Now that the 11th Circuit has, has basically rejected that argument, that point is moot. 
So the only thing that um, Judge Deary will now be dealing with is the non-classified documents, which is the other 11,000 documents that were seized from Mar-a-Lago. The FBI and the Justice Department now, based on what the 11th Circuit ruled, will have access to the 100 classified documents, which is what they say they need to to uh, proceed with their investigation. Right. So the, the ruling last night affects the 100 classified documents, but it probably gets Trump out of a out of a problem in Brooklyn, because I think Judge Deary, if, if the classified documents were still in front of Judge Deary, he was going to make them oh, okay. put on declassification. The president said yesterday to Sean Hannity that he could declassify just by thinking about it. Is that true? No. You know, the Presidential Records Act, which we talk a lot about, you know, Trump's been talking about a lot of the provisions. One of the provisions he almost never mentions is like the second provision in the law, which says that presidents have an obligation to document the activities of their presidency. Uh, And it's, you know, it's inconceivable that you would you would declassify very top secret information and there wouldn't be a document that said that you did it. Gotcha. Uh, Andy, always great columns. Always great to get your instant analysis. I'm so glad you went to law school. <laughs> Thanks, Brian. You didn't get my bill yet. <laughs> well, well that, that'll prove you went to law school. Until I get the bill, I'm going to have to go on your word. Uh, I'm, I'm going to have the I'm going to have the Tish James write up, right? Mark up on it. Well, so. just so that I'm going to try to get a special master name. So there you go uh, to to arbitrate between us. Andy McCarthy, thanks so much. Uh, when we come back, I'll take your calls, one 866 Then we open up the conversation with Carly Shimkus. Busy day. So glad you're here. Giving you everything you need to know. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture, and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. You know, uh, uh, Andy McCarthy is so rich with information, and sadly, the Trump family is so overwhelmed with lawsuits. Uh, And as I mentioned, this thing in New York, you have to look at it. You have to just take your time and read it. Because they say that this is worth this much and this is worth this much, this is an attorney general getting in between a bank transaction. If it was Deutsche Bank complaining, if it was TD Bank outraged, if it was people saying I'm now bankrupt and shareholders are left holding the bag, that's one thing. But no one got hurt. This is a targeting. And that means big and small business people should fear Trump being found guilty because that means no one's safe. If a politician doesn't like you, they will take you out. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. 
information you want truth you demand this is the brian kilmeade show welcome back everyone as i i was talking about her earlier that carly shimkus did something very rare but she always does um she made a request though usually you ask and say what are we going to be talking about when you come on the air today you made a request carly and it wasn't a typical <laughs> could i not to categorize your gender because i know we're doing this gender it's blending 2022 thank you You're welcome. but you know it was you said i like to request something and if it was anybody but you, you would think, okay, they have a request. There's a story that went out about Valentine's Day or about <laughs> couples or a reality show uh, that you love to talk about where uh, someone got booted from The Bachelorette. But no, what did you ask for? Well, I wanted to talk about the president's U.N. speech yesterday and what's going on in Russia and China. Right. Well, because I know that you like that topic too. Put it this way: that is one of the most. If I was looking, if I we were dating, uh-huh. and I was looking at a dating profile, that's the most attractive thing that I would see on a bio. <laughs> oh, yeah. Those international relations. Yes, it, that is uh, Brian. That surprises right. me not and, uh, at all. Also, we've great to be hot. I like you know. <laughs> yeah, so you like, you like physical attraction too. Yes. Okay. Wow, not. this I'm is gonna, actually turning more into a bachelor conversation. Right. Which when neither of us are available. No, we right. are not. And and you're having a baby. I am, and, and I'm fully in support of. And um, so for everybody who's listening out there, I love to I love to hone in on Brian's softer side because it's not something that you see every day. But Allison just told me that um, you, Brian, threw her her two baby showers. Right. For three kids, which has never been done before. You would think that I should have gone. I should have gotten like one each. This is for Patrick. (laughs) You're actually like underperforming. Right. Yeah. Because when you have twins, you only get one shower. Do you know the rules? Uh, well, I knew that one. Actually, yeah. Ainsley asked if I wanted if 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 she, I wanted her to have, organize a shower. Yeah, exactly. Thank you for saying that for me. Um, I don't even really want a shower, to be honest. Nobody wants to really be there. You know, I, f- I feel at showers. Well, I mean, I don't do, know. Do, do you know how you felt about shower, Allison? Even though Brian threw you one, which is honestly so nice. But, They're but, both surprises too. But oh, here's the that's thing. so sweet, Allison. Here's the other thing. Yes, I think people want to be there, but I think people that don't have uh, kids yeah. don't love going to baby showers. Am I correct? It's just in the middle of the day on a Saturday. You, you need have to, to serve give alcohol. Time. Oh right. boy, do you? Yeah. So here's what I was thinking for my baby shower because you do need stuff because you need the gear. Um, not to make it so self serving. I would. I, I love my friends and family, of course. I just feel bad for them because uh, a lot of people live far away. Anyway, I was thinking about inviting the husbands too. Is, do you think that's a good idea? And I've never it, heard of that. Having it be like a big party as Have opposed to that? just like a female shower. It happens and like sort of the guys go and drink. It can be for sure. But but here's the problem. If if you made it during the week, it should be just girls. Not during the week, on a Saturday. Why do you want to be on a Saturday? Well, because I think that's when most people are available. Oh. Well, couldn't you have it like four o'clock during the week? That, I don't know if that works for everybody. It's how, that wouldn't thought, work for me either. I'm just thinking, I, I, just think all, I just think all your friends are TV friends. So I just think that, <laughs> no, you know, unless you're working for Jesse, uh, Jesse or Tucker, I think you could probably make it. No, you I, have friends outside the building? I actually do have a life outside uh, the I did building. not know. I do, yes, yes. Oh, okay. I, yeah, mm-hmm. it, it, I, I went to college. I went how, to high school. How many friends would I know mm-hmm. of yours? I, I I almost know none of you. Well, you know my friend Lindsay through word of mouth because she lives uh, close to you, and I go to Salt with her. 
Right. Which is a restaurant near your town. Which you beat me to salt. I get there. Salt and is they, great. And they were describing you and they, Carly came in and I'm like, yeah, I only know one Carly that came in. Her. <laughs> Next thing you know, it, it's you. Because you were in Wontaw, yeah. Long Island, uh, and I, I'm in I'm in Massapequa. Yeah. So that's two stops away in so, the railroad. So Lindsay's trying to get me to move out to Merrick. You have to make a decision, right? Um, yeah, I'm not going to move to the suburbs yet. I want to stay in New York City. However, when I went to um, the Brian Kilmeade Hour, which was the 4th of July uh, fireworks show in Nassau County, and everybody came up to me, and I was like – I thought they were going to be like, oh, we watch Fox and Friends first. They're like, oh, I know Brian because I coached his son's soccer team. I know Brian because he was my RA in college. I was like brought – He's right. the mayor of this town. Well, we know what happened. And then I is- met the mayor, and he's like, "I know Brian because we, you know, I have a golf club membership with him." You remember almost correctly, uh, but Bruce Blakeman is the Nassau County executive. He's a very nice man. And Brad Blakeman's been here as a contributor forever. Yes. Mm-hmm. You know, Bruce Blakeman was married to Paul McCartney's current wife. Oh, I didn't know that. Right. Wait, let me think about that. Bruce Blakeman married to Paul McCartney's current wife. Yeah, and they ended up on amicable terms. Wait, they share the same wife. Uh, no, they got divorced. Okay, got but it. But it was very amicable. Uh-huh. And it turns out that Brad used to say to me, and I never put it together because, you know, I got to the Hamptons and it's unbelievable. Paul McCartney has a party. I get invited and he'll just sing. And then I'm I'm a genius and I go, wait, Bruce Blakeman, Brad Blakeman used to be married. I go, wait a second. You still go out With to your ex- to your brother's ex-wife's new husband's house? He goes, yeah, I'm invited. And I always go. <laughs> And it's just amazing. Paul McCartney is an amazing performer. I heard John Bon Jovi's like this. I would never know uh, uh, personally. Yeah. But they performers like to perform all the time. Really? You would think it's like, listen, I, I'm, I'm Billy Joel. I don't want to do it. Evidently, they always – I know you want me to play. I'll go play. So it doesn't get old to them. I well, guess Well, I guess, you know, um, you're sort of like that too. Because you're always on. You love even when you're not working, you have you're writing a book, you're doing a speaking engagement, right. you're you just did three hours of TV, now you're doing three hours of radio. So pot kettle, but in the best way possible. Right. I I don't I I'll appreciate the analogy, but I don't belong in that area. Uh, but like you I would are, never invite you, the, you over and you say, watch Bill- me write a book. You are the Billy Joel of Fox News. Right. Thank you very much. A little taller. <laughs> right. And but I can't sell out the garden and he can. So that's where we're no, different. That's okay. All right. You so, can sell out the villages. I think I could too. Yeah, yeah. We, we do, we've done that before, right? <laughs> I think she just insulted me. Can we? No, uh, that's a good thing. I want right. to go down there. Steve looked like he was having such a blast. Uh, oh yeah, he did a great job today. He do, he is good at that. Yeah. Uh, so let's talk about uh, what's going on with Russia. Oh yeah. So right now, I'm just reading a lot of analysis by him calling up these three hundred thousand troops. They might not uh, Vladimir Putin. They might not exist. And there's already riots inside Russia. people. Yeah. So they have reserves. A lot of people go, no, we're out of here. Do you know they're preventing people 18 to 34 from leaving the country with one-way tickets? It's turning into North – it's like a North Korea situation. Yeah. So um, very unpopular, obviously, in Russia. Uh, The president makes this announcement saying that – or President Putin makes this announcement saying we're doing a draft up to 300,000 people. We're going to possibly call up to war. We're going to call up reserves and not saying major draft. Could you imagine being a young man in Russia right now and thinking, oh my gosh, I don't even care about this war. I don't know what's going on. The strange thing about Russia though is – you can You obviously cannot trust these poll numbers, but I remember in the beginning of the war, um, it helped a lot of a lot of people in Russia are re- really supportive of Vladimir Putin in a way that isn't fake, which I am I am stunned by in the big cities, Saint Petersburg, Moscow. But if you get out to the smaller towns, 
they are very anti-Putin, and that's part of the 300,000 too. So now you have all of these people that are immediately when he made that announcement buying plane tickets and trying to hightail it out, and people who are really putting their lives on the line with these anti-war demonstrations because you're not allowed to do that in Russia. And then I was reading some analysis that said the scary thing would be for Ukraine and hearing that there's going to be a possible fresh batch of up to 300,000 troops. Could that turn the tide of the war. And uh, the person that I, I was listening to said no, because what they need is our experienced soldiers. These people are Joe Schmo off the street. You're going to give them a gun. They're immediately going to die. Unfortunately for these people, it's just their situation. 60,000 dead Russians already. And that's what turned the war in Afghanistan. They had a draft. They invaded. They thought they'd run right through. Uh, and they ended up getting their ass kicked. Yeah. And then it ended up resulting. But uh, if you listen to Putin, he, what did he say? Like 6,000 died? Yeah. Which isn't true. Right. And what happens is I think I mean, they are educated over there. Afghanistan is not an educated right. population. This one is. Clint Watts weighed in on MSNBC about uh, about what Vladimir Putin would do and what he's about to do in a week. Cut 35. He's talking about building uh, and essentially annexing parts of southern Ukraine as the justification then for using things like nuclear weapons or accelerating essentially the war from his perspective. Because if he does that, it would be seen as an attack on Russia. Now, no one really buys that. And that's where the fighting is happening today. In that southern front, there's some pretty intense fighting uh, back and forth. And for the Ukrainians, I think they're at a point where they've done remarkably well. But it will be tougher and tougher for them, for them to advance as well without taking stiff casualties. So I think heading into winter, it's important to notice Zelensky's peace plan yesterday. yesterday and that, that could be a way to bring this uh, conflict to some sort of an end. Well, what they're doing is in these uh, Luhansk and other areas, they're having a vote, but there's so much fighting going on, they're going to do a remote. So it's a joke. And so yeah. they're going to just take these areas. But um, I guess the weapons, if we get all the weapons, you get them in the tanks, they should win because the Russians can't fight. As, as, General, as General Kellogg said, it turns out the Russians are Belgium with nuclear weapons. Yeah, I know. And I know that there's a lot of people who, who come on our air and, and say that um, we're spending so much money. In this in this war. But I also think it's really important to remember that, you know, it's not America first to have Russia and China sort of decide a global new world order and defending a democracy really does matter. So now President Biden has given um, some big time weapons to Ukraine. The question is, are is he really giving them enough to win? And some people say, no, you're, you're giving Ukraine enough to just sort of win the next battle but not win the overall war. Uh, you got to so, start pressuring our allies to do what they pledged to do. Well, that was part of the speech and what Nikki Haley was saying yesterday about President Biden's U.N. speech where it was a, it was a well-said speech when he called out Russia. But what about China? What about India that are buying Russian oil, propping up their economy? Um, and he didn't really say much about those countries. What does it say to you? I always thought, I don't want the whole story because we're not in the meetings, that Iran has to supply, supply drones. What does it say to you that North Korea has got to supply rockets? That means that China's not, and that yeah. means they cannot make in their own. Well, um, Vladimir Putin and Xi Jinping recently met face to face. It was the first time yeah. Xi Jinping left China since the uh, since start of the pandemic. The world. Since he poisoned the world, exactly. Uh, let's not forget that. And apparently the outcome of that speech was um, President Xi was like, I don't really support this war anymore. you got to back off. Right. So now he's feeling squeezed from his allies. And that may be one of the reasons why he's doing this, I guess, this draft 
Because he doesn't know what to do now. I mean, what's going to happen, Brian? Well, what I think is going to happen is they're hoping for winter and to freeze out Western Europe. And they're hoping that yeah. winter provide because they're trying to destroy the infrastructure of Ukraine. And they hope that evens the playing field. Oh, my gosh. So then it brings us to what President Biden said yesterday during the speech about climate change. Right. Where obviously part of his U.N. speech was promoting climate change because that's what these global organizations do. They always promote these ideas. And then look at what happened to Germany. They went totally green. They rely on um, – for all of their oil and gas from Russia. And then you know what I was reading? Starting this month, Germany has introduced a series of measures to cut energy use. Businesses are no longer allowed to keep their doors open – Throughout the day to reduce the need for heating, you're not allowed to illuminate advertising signs. They have, you have to switch them off uh, by 10 p.m. And halls and corridors of most public buildings will no longer be heated. Wow. So they'll be cold during the winter and offices can only be heated to a max of 19 degrees Celsius. This is happening in Germany. So it's like one of the most advanced nations, if not the most advanced nation on the planet. There buying, is an energy independence lesson in there somewhere. Right. There's, they're, they're buying wood and they're buying coal, yeah. refiring up fire, uh, plants, and they're, they're, they're shelving plants to get rid of their and nuclear energy. And that's what energy. Jamie Dimon is talking about when he talks about, listen, you're, you're criticizing fossil fuels. You're criticizing oil, um, natural gas, when it, which is cleaner, and now it's more expensive, and countries are switching to coal right. because of it. Is my problem in life that this is my small talk? Like if I – like literally I would – I get so bored if I go out on the weekends and I'm not talking about this. <laughs> like I just I, – this is so strange. Uh, back in a moment. Carl, you going to stick around? Sure. All right. Newsmakers and newsbreakers. Hear it first on The Brian Kilmeade Show. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. Of course, when you make recommendations, if the primary goal when you're dealing with a situation where the hospitals were being overrun in New York, intensive care units were being put in hallways, you have to do something that's rather draconian. And sometimes when you do draconian things, it has collateral negative consequences just like when you shut things down even temporarily it does have deleterious consequences on the economy on the school children you know that in a conference yesterday dr uh, fauci was explaining himself uh at which time uh he is trying to say uh what he said is correct the hospitals were being overrun and there, there was need to be severe action and as jared Kushner wrote in his book carly shimkus he goes we had to do something because the hospital was being overrun but how long you did it and the reasons why while not admitting that you said it's not going to be a problem here that you didn't have to keep get wear a mask they give you a false sense of security and that he never pointed out that school kids could suffer in the long term on yeah. this that's the maddening thing exactly and it's just so fascinating to hear the language that he's using now that he is retiring or doing whatever he's going to do. Um, and he's calling the measures that he propped up for two years, he's calling them draconian for the first time. That's new. Uh, he was saying that it, it he was criticized. He was criticizing people for calling these measures that he was supporting 
draconian. He was criticizing those folks, and now he's admitting it. Um, and it's 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 just very interesting. Also, you you think about the fallout from this and the rules for the not for me with a lot of people and the firings that are taking place still to this day, even though the pandemic is over, according to the president. So Brian Morgenstern, he used to be behind the scenes at the White House, a spokesperson. He wrote that he said this thing on his podcast, Vignettes in Vino. He said uh, he said this, this guy, Brian Morgenstern, he said Fauci's an awful egomaniac. He said the virus is nothing to worry about in the beginning for the American people. Then in, months, then in the months that followed, he said we should not wear masks. Then they were ineffective. By June, July, he had changed his tune and everyone should be very concerned and they should wear multiple masks and goggles. He said, I vividly recall boiling, uh, boy, my blood boiling during an infuriating meeting at the Roosevelt Room of the White House when Fauci laughed about his own goggles comment, making it clear how cynical he was that he could get people to believe anything. Yeah. Think about that. I know. It's so true. And listen, I don't mind that and I don't fault him for being wrong on some of these things in the beginning of the pandemic because we this was like a totally new virus. Um, but I do take issue with the moral high ground that he took when people were losing their jobs as well. And you think about where we are right now, especially when the vaccine came out, of course, and people started getting vaccinated. And then we were told that that was going to be the cure all. And then it turns out that it does protect you, but it doesn't protect other people um, from getting it. And then just this absolute unbridled pressure to get everybody vaccinated and where were therapeutics? While taking down other doctors <clears throat> and disinformation yeah, and working exactly. with social media to take all this down and ridiculing people that might have a counter opinion. Meanwhile, yeah. the guy's 80 years old, hasn't been in a lab coat forever. Exactly. And then you go the with what Rand Paul always talks about with the emails in the beginning about how he was told very early on, hey, this could come from a lab in Wuhan. And then um, a day later, all of those people that were all those scientists that were saying, you know, you may want to watch this. You may you may want to look into the fact that this was probably produced in a lab. And then when he found out that there was some funding that came through his company, all those scientists were saying something completely different. So more, to, more to come on that front, especially That's, if Republicans win the House. Yeah, he's only making 500000 or 300000 but he has millions, maybe even billions to hand out for grants. So they had no choice. Yeah. Carly Shimkus, this was fun. It was great, Brian. Bye. From the Fox News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan, it's the fastest-growing radio talk show, Brian Kilmeade. Uh, hi, everybody. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Shows. Thanks so much for being here. We come to you from Midtown Manhattan, but we're heard around the country, around the world. Soon they're going to charge me to come to Midtown. Do you believe that? So there's going to be a congestion pricing thing. So just in case you're not overtaxed already in New York, New York City, you're paying city tax, state tax, and a federal tax. Just in case you're up, you're taking basically 6.5 um, for every dollar, they're taking 65 cents from you. Now they're going to have congestion pricing. Should you, I don't know, be one of those rich people delivering bread to delis or those uh, independently wealthy ones who sharpen knives at restaurants? So when you pull up in your truck and you go around to place to place to place, you're going to be paying congestion pricing. No wonder almost 6,000 people left New York permanently to go to Florida, an all-time record last month. Uh, Senator Marshall Blackburn will be here uh, shortly in about a half hour. Admiral James Stravitas 
in a matter of moments. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. How long from here should Americans be prepared for that economic pain? How long? I mean, it, it, it really depends on how long it takes for wages and, and more than that, prices to, to come down, for, for inflation to come down. Okay, take your time. and wait. I love the way you change your tone. Jerome Powell, chairman of the Fed, economy, the Fed, banking circus on Capitol Hill, and what it all means for you and your family finances. We'll discuss. Number two. We're learning those activists suing Florida Governor Ron DeSantis for dropping 50 migrants on Martha's Vineyard are heavily funded by George Soros, receiving nearly $1.4 million from his Open Society Foundations. You, why don't they investigate him and that foundation? Bring it on. That's the message from Governor DeSantis as the illegal immigrants who landed on Martha's Vineyards are going to sue him. This clown show overwhelms the bigger news, a massive seizure of fentanyl in Florida, enough to kill 4 million people, which crossed the southern border. We will have the latest. Number one. This investigation revealed that Donald Trump engaged in years of illegal conduct to inflate his net worth, to achieve, to deceive banks and the people of the great state of New York. If he acted differently in Georgia, there would be no lawsuit. You could say, regardless of the outcome, you blame himself. If he, if he didn't take documents to Mar-a-Lago, he would have no problems with the FBI. You could say, at the very least, you could blame Trump. If you read this, and I read most of it, this is a pure political attack by the Attorney General Letitia James. It's a civil lawsuit uh, meant to gum up the works and maybe take him out. I don't think it'll do either. Uh, we'll talk about that. Uh, the other big story uh, remains what's happening over in the Ukraine. Nobody better to talk about that than Admiral James Javidis, the 16th Supreme Allied Commander of NATO. Uh, his recent books, The Sailor's Bookshelf, 50 Books to Know the Sea, and 2034, a novel of the next world war, which might be uh, with China. Admiral, welcome back. Great to be with you, Brian. Admiral, uh, first off, don't you think the president could have used yesterday to pressure our European allies to start fulfilling their obligation to Ukraine? We're doing it. I'm hearing these reports. They are not. Uh, Brian, I don't agree with that. I have seen uh, a, quite a bit of weapon systems flowing, uh, notably from Poland and the countries uh, in the Baltics, Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania. I think that you're correct. We could do more from the western part of Europe. Uh, France, Italy, some of the other nations there have a lot of capacity But the bottom line here is the alliance is standing together and providing not only the equipment, but a lot of the intelligence, the training, all that support. I think the alliance overall is doing a pretty good job. Uh, Right now, I think that the Ukrainians are doing a great job. Uh, They're making gains, they say, 3,000 square miles roughly, and they're moving on Kyrgyzstan. But they say that it's going to be very hard going from here on in. When, When Vladimir Putin comes out, and and he says what he said, and I'll give I'll give you his comments through the translator uh, here at Fox, and says what he says uh, leading up, knowing the whole world's coming together uh, in a matter of moments. Here's what he said to his people. Uh, cut thirty two. I think it is necessary to support the proposal of the Ministry of Defense and the General Staff to conduct a partial mobilization in Russia. I repeat, we are only talking about a partial mobilization. Partial mobilization, they say up to 300,000 reserves. What's the reality there? Uh, The reality is um, these are going to be thousands. I doubt they'll be able to scare up hundreds of thousands. Look, Russia does not have the kind of 
highly orchestrated, very detail-oriented reserve military system that the United States has, for example, or that Estonia has, or Finland. Finland has a population of 5 million, Brian. They could put 500,000 troops in combat in three weeks because they keep them trained. They like, give them a, Almost like they, Israel, they bring right? Bring them on. It's Israel... Finland and Switzerland are the three top reserve systems. At the bottom end of how to run a reserve military would be Russia. These are going to be stumble-bum assistant bartenders who were conscripted 12 years ago, maybe went to Syria, maybe not, have forgotten anything they ever knew about combat. They'll get crummy uniforms, bad rifles, and they'll be cannon fodder. So I wouldn't overstress on the mobilization. So... Right now, we understand there's going to be an annexation. It's going to be done through proxy because a lot of it's in war zones. They're going to annex like four areas of the Donbass region. And uh, Russia says, look what we got. How how do you play it if you're Ukraine? Well, for starters, this would be like a burglar breaks into your house and then pulls out a gun, puts it at your head and says, sign the deed to your home to me. Uh, That's how legitimate this is. Um, This is a referendum conducted under combat conditions with uh, military enforcement. It'll be badly managed, and frankly, it's just a sham. So what the Ukrainians ought to do is highlight all of that. They ought to do what they've done brilliantly, which is uh, shine a Klieg light, a big shining spotlight on this kind of Russian behavior, and that's with videos, with testimony, with um, all manner of outgoing strategic communications. They need to shine a light on this and and show the world how illegitimate this is. So uh, having said that, uh, the fighting goes on. It's going to get tougher. And this thing called winter is about to happen. Russia (laughs) thinks it's going to be to their advantage. We know that they're basically shutting off the gas on Nord Stream 1 and other, uh, despite France's urging not to, maybe permanently losing that customer base, which is just devastating, I think, long term to Russia. But how do you get through this winter? Um, Well, let's put this in perspective, Brian. Um, Of all the energy, the energy stack, if you will, that Europe is using, so nuclear, coal, oil, natural gas, uh, renewables like solar and wind, etc. Of all the energy Europe uses, only 20% is natural gas. And of that 20%, Putin only controls about half of that. So he's really got control of about 10% of the total energy stack. So the bottom line is he can turn those taps off and the Europeans are going to have to take their thermostats from 72 to maybe 65. They're going to have to wear a sweater around indoors. There are going to be some industrial slowdowns where natural gas is used in process. But they've been preparing for this for months. And I would put it this way to my European friends. You can have one hard winter, but really make the effort to, to get through it and cut off Russia, or you can face this year after year after year and remain beholden and bend the knee to Putin. Don't do it. Take the pain this year. I think that's where they'll go. I hope that's where they'll go. Uh, When you look at these protests in Russia, do you have a sense of what's happening there? They were happening yesterday. Uh, 18 to uh, 34-year-olds are no longer allowed to buy one ticket, uh, uh, buy a plane to one (laughs) ticket anywhere. So they're not allowed to go... um, 
they're, they're not allowed to get tickets at all, so they're afraid of the young people leaving. There was some protests yesterday. Do you have any sense of how that government set up that there might be an anti-Putin movement among them? I think there is very much an anti-Putin movement among the intelligentsia, notably around the youth who have means, who are connected to the Internet, who understand what's really happening here. Unfortunately, um, as you get into rural Russia and you get away from populations that are connected, you start to find more and more support for Putin. So, Brian, look in the cities. You're going to see these kind of protests. I think Putin's going to be able to handle them. Bottom line, the big danger here for Russia is not Putin being overthrown. I wish it were, but that's not the danger. The real danger for Russia, two words, brain, brain. These are their best and brightest. They are buying these tickets. Go on the internet and, and Google uh, outpouring of people from Russia, and you'll see story after story, video after video of people clamoring to buy tickets, one-way tickets, to get out of Moscow. And I'll close with this. Nobody's buying the return legs of those flights. No one's trying to get into Russia these days. Right. Uh, we have that problem. Uh, let's talk about China. <laughs> Here, here's, here's the president uh, on 60 Minutes, Cut 37. So unlike Ukraine, to be clear, sir, U.S. forces, U.S. men and women would defend Taiwan in the event of a Chinese invasion. Yes. Is that the answer you would give? No. Um, the answer I would give is um, our policy toward Taiwan is unchanged, which is that we don't want to telegraph to China exactly what we're going to do one way or the other. We would look at an armed attack on China as a grave threat, and we would reserve the right to respond militarily, economically, in the technological realm, and cyber. I would, I would have said uh, a more nuanced response to the question would be where U.S. policy currently is. So, so uh, in other words, on the, uh, on the Taiwanese to defend themselves, uh, why is it, though, Admiral, we're used to seeing this with the president uh, and his staff, uh, President Trump would say things you know, like, well, that's not really where we're going to do it, or Mattis would end up resigning. And people would go, well, that's the president <laughs> acting on instinct. We're not used to four times now. This administration has walked the president back on this issue alone. Um, I'm not going to get into comparing presidents. That's really no. Not don't. How about job. just how about on this policy? Like, obviously, yeah, he's not being tricked into the question. Yeah, let me give you a reaction. I think um, all of us ought to stop thinking about defending Taiwan as though it were an on and off switch on the wall, and think about it as a rheostat. And what we ought to be doing is dialing that rheostat up, you know, like the dimmer on the wall, on the light in your dining room. We ought to be cranking that rheostat up. And what that means is selling, not giving. Taiwan's a very rich place. Uh, selling them the high-end military equipment they need. And guess what? We have a, a scenario unfolding in Ukraine that gives us a pretty good idea of the kind of weapon systems we ought to be selling to our Taiwanese friends. That's where we ought to be putting our emphasis right now. Now, I know Admiral Stavridis would learn from this invasion and maybe think twice. Is China going to school on this invasion and thinking about mm -hmm. and thinking what Vladimir Putin promised and what, what he was able to do? I think so, Brian. If you put yourself in Xi's, President Xi's shoes, 
he's thinking three things right now. Number one, I wonder if my generals are as bad as those Russian generals appear to be. I wonder if my equipment is as crummy as their equipment appears to be, because it's all pretty intertwined. That's question one. Question two is, he's wondering, will those Taiwanese fight like hell the way that the Ukrainians have been fighting? I think the answer is yes. I've been there. I've visited with the president, Madam Tsai. There's not much quit in those Taiwanese. And then number three, he's asking himself, Hmm. Those sanctions, they're pretty big. I'm a big economy here in China. Maybe they can't sanction me fully, but could they target me with very strategic sanctions that could cripple my economy? Maybe they could. So I think President Xi is pumping the brakes on the idea of attacking Taiwan right now because of what's going on in Ukraine. So there's a theory uh, that you know everyone's trying to get their head around the fact that for the first time, Every branch of the military cannot recruit effectively. Uh, And the people that do recruit, so many people are so out of shape they can't perform, even though you guys have loosened up a lot of the the criteria and the policies. Uh, There's also a theory out there that a lot of the woke policies and politics have hurt the military. What do when you guys sit around and have some beers, other military (laughs) officers like you, what do you think it is? I think there's a little bit of everything in this. But number one is, hey, it's hard to hire a lifeguard right now. It's hard to hire servers. It's hard to hire IT workers. You know, newsflash, it's just hard to hire right now because of the demand signal from the economy as it comes back from COVID. So we're competing, we the military, with an awful lot of pretty good jobs out there available. I think number two, the fact, and this may sound strange, But the fact that we're not engaged in active combat operations in Iraq and Afghanistan, that was a draw for many people to come into the military, to go forward, to be in combat, to defend forward. Um, Are some of the social policies you mentioned part of this? Perhaps. Um, I think you've got to look at it in the totality, Brian. But it's just a hard environment out there. And I'll close with this, which may surprise most Americans. If you look at All of the high school seniors graduating in a given year, only 25% of them are eligible to come into the United States military because of their obesity, because of their previous drug use, because of their mental health. Only 25%. So we are competing for a very select group of Americans coming out of college. And I hope that uh, patriotism and service will win out and we'll be able to reverse some of these declines we've seen in recruiting. I also think the way we left Afghanistan uh, the, the made us look did like not a less help. than heroic did force. Not, did not help. Did mm-hmm. not help. And let's face it, that's the last image in a lot of people's minds about the military. And it so, was so yes, undeserving because you guys fought brilliantly. This is one Thank of the you. finest generations of military operatives we've ever seen at every level. And we, yeah, we've made mistakes, but the way you've grown, and I think the rest of the world has to know that. I guess the helpless feeling is when leaders let you down. Uh, Admiral, thanks so much. Always, always enjoy talking to you. Same here, Brian. We covered, would say in the Navy, we covered a lot of water. For I, I, think, I think we helped the country. Thank you. Uh, back in a moment with you. Calls 1-866-408-7669. Expanding your knowledge base. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. A talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. 
you have all committed, as you all know, uh, to transition the emissions from lending and investment activities to align with pathways to net zero in 2050. So no new fossil fuel production starting today. That's So that's like zero. So I would like to ask all of you and go down the list because, again, you all have agreed to doing this. Please answer with a simple yes or no. Does your bank have a policy against funding new oil and gas products? Mr. Diamond. Absolutely not. And that would be the road to hell for America. Yeah, that's fine. That's fine, sir. You know what? Everybody that got relief from student loans has a bank account with your bank should probably take out their account and close their account. You obviously don't care about working class people in frontline communities like ours that are facing huge amounts of high rates of asthma, respiratory issues and so much more. Cancer rates are so high among my communities that I represent. Do they want iPads? Do they want iPhones? Do they want to have heated homes? Do they want to have air conditioned in the summer? Uh, that's how uh, clueless Congresswoman, squad member Rashida Tlaib is going talking to uh, the CEO, Jamie Dimon of J.P. Morgan Chase. You want him to give up all investment in the thing that's literally fueling our country and fueling our enemy's nation? Are you nuts? These people are clueless. You want to use your hair dryer tomorrow? A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. Well, fentanyl is a clandestine killer. And Texans are victimized by Mexican cartels that produce and import it. So cartels are terrorists. And it's time that we started treating them that way. And that is... Governor Abbott, of course, of Texas, saying, can we stop pretending things at the border are not terrorists, especially when you have 74 who crossed last month and we used to have maybe zero in all of an entire year that we know. And a lot of terrorists are great at not getting caught. Uh, These are the ones we got that that turn up on a terrorist watch list. Uh, Senator Marshall Blackburn joins us now. Senator, we're finally talking about what's going on at the border. We just have different takes on the magnitude of the problem. What do you think about Governor Abbott's idea? I think it is a good idea. You look at what Governor Ducey and Abbott and DeSantis have done, and to move these illegal immigrants across the country to communities that have said, we're a sanctuary city, we have the infrastructure, we welcome these immigrants, that's the right thing to do, because you've got all of these towns along the border that are just being overrun. Their social services are overrun. Uh, their um, morgues are overrun. Their hospitals are overrun. And every town's a border town. Every state's a border state until the border is secure. But you do have these cities like Chicago and New York and Detroit and um Communities like Martha's Vineyard, who have said they were a sanctuary and supposedly they were going to be welcoming these individuals. Yeah, uh, I, this is uh, how about the audacity that the governor being sued, Governor DeSantis being sued by George Soros' open funded open, open society network to fund this law firm, Lawyers for Civil Rights, against Governor DeSantis on behalf 
of the 60 illegal immigrants that got bussed into Martha's Vineyard, got flown in? Well, and here they have supported the open border. They, The cartels are the ones who are making money. They're not going after the cartels for abusing, physically and sexually abusing these individuals. They are not going after the cartels for the drugs that they are giving people to take in order to keep them up to make this walk across the border. Uh, they're not doing any of that. And they're not going after the administration. We had over a year ago, about a year and a half ago, is when planes started landing in Tennessee with the individuals that were being put on a plane, flown to Tennessee. Nobody said anything about that except to say, well, it is hard-hearted and it is not compassionate to complain about these planes landing in your state. But they did not go after DHS or President Biden. And you never got a heads up and they never even told the governor, not just didn't they tell the Republican senator, That's they right. did not tell the governor, correct? That's right. That is correct. They didn't tell the governor, the mayor, the sheriff, uh, the school system, anybody. They just arrived. Here is uh, what Ned Price said to Martha McCallum yesterday about the problem at the border. Cut 17. What I can tell you is what we're uh, doing with countries throughout the region, with our partners here in the U.S. government, to try to address the root causes of migration, uh, the root factors that are pulling people away from uh, their homes in places in Central America, uh, in South America, in the broader region that are, in some cases, bringing them to our border. The State Department, we are working very hard every day to uh, try to address uh, those pull factors, those so, root causes, I mean, uh, so know, we can with, address with this respect, challenge. Would you say that uh, it's fair to is, is there any indication they're addressing that every day and the pull factors is while not going to the border, looking at the pull factors? I don't even think they're addressing it every day. Addressing this, I thought his response was so insulting to the American people and disrespectful of the taxpayer that pays his salary. They're not addressing this. All they need to do to address it is look in the mirror and see what it is that they are saying. Look, your foreign policy and your domestic policy meet at that border. There are people from 150 different countries coming across that border that we know of. There are 78 terrorists that we know of that have come across that border. There are hundreds of thousands of people that we know have come, but they didn't catch. They're called the gotaways. But here's the thing. The pull factor is the Biden policy that basically has rolled out the red carpet and said, y'all come, we're ready for you, and the cartels are the ones making the money. Everybody that comes to that border has paid the cartel. A lot of those people are going to be sent to gangs to work out their fee. It is modern-day slavery. And this administration, by allowing that border to be open, by not giving the Border Patrol the three things they have consistently asked for, a physical barrier, better technology where they cannot have a barrier, and more officers and agents to handle securing that border. Until they do that, 
you have a pull factor. So the pull factor is them and their policy. So let's move over to the economy and talk about Jerome Powell. Uh, This is his prediction after raising rates for the third straight month, cut 24. We have always understood that restoring price stability while achieving a relatively modest decline, a rather increase in unemployment and a soft landing would be would be very challenging. And and we don't know. No one knows whether this process will lead to a recession or if so, how significant that recession would be. That's a great. OK, if he doesn't know, I just wanted no one to know. Well, could he be possibly the cause of it? In an effort to get reelected, he did not stand in his way and speak out about that rescue package that we didn't need and the crazy spending we just got, correct? Yeah, you know, I think that what he was trying to do is find a very elegant way to say, I screwed up. And this is his explanation. He knows that this is inflicting harm on the American people. When I talk to Tennesseans, and a mom summed it up for me a couple of weeks ago, Brian. She said, you know, I cannot fill up the gas tank and the grocery cart in the same week. Now, that is how people are being hurt. They're working two jobs. They're trying to get grandparents or neighbors to help with children to get them to and from activities. Sometimes they're saying to kids, we can't do the travel soccer team this year. We can't afford it. Uh, This is real life in real America, and they know what they have done. But you know what? They really don't care. And that has become sadly apparent. Because the underbelly is this green energy transition. That's it. That's that's exactly it. it. So heating bills to reach a 10-year high. If you want to get a windmill and and, uh, solar panel on somebody's house, tell them that oil and gas is too high. So it brings me to this ridiculous exchange that Rashida Tlaib should be embarrassed by. But sadly, uh, she has no self-awareness. And her supporters probably love it. Listen to her question to Jamie Dimon of J.P. Morgan. Cut 25. You have all committed, as you all know, uh, to transition the emissions from lending and investment activities to align with pathways to net zero in 2050. So no new fossil fuel production starting today. That's So that's like zero. So I would like to ask all of you and go down the list, because, again, you all have agreed to doing this. Please answer with a simple yes or no. Does your bank have a policy against funding new oil and gas products, Mr. Diamond? Absolutely not, and that would be the road to hell for America. Yeah, that's fine. That's fine. Sir, you know what? Everybody that got relief from student loans has a bank account with your bank should probably take out their account and close their account because you obviously don't care about working class people in frontline communities like ours that are facing huge amounts of high rates of asthma, respiratory issues, and so much more. Cancer rates are so high among my communities that I represent. Right. So it's Jamie Dimon's problem that your kids in your community have asthma? Well, they would like to blame everything on the environment. Right now, we have cleaner air, cleaner water. We're all for clean air and clean water. What we are not for is disadvantaging the United States of America so that people don't have jobs. Uh, We're not for that. They are. And, you know, I just would love to hear them at some point say, the United States of America is the greatest country on the face of the earth. I don't even need that. This has got to stop. How could she possibly get that out of her mouth, that he has to stop investing in fossil fuels 
and you think gas is high now as we empty our strategic oil reserve? Does she understand we're not in a battle with Israel, uh, even though she'd prefer that? We're in a battle with China and the rest of the world who has not shut down anything to the, to the sort? Brian, I think a part of the problem is you had some of these companies kind of ease into this ESG early on. They, they thought they could mollify people on the left. So they think they can kind of ease into it, do a little bit of it. And now what they've done is to embolden all of these leftists who have this leftist socialist agenda. And looking at that Harvard-Harris poll that came out this week, isn't it so interesting? People don't fear Republicans. What they fear is the socialist left and what they're doing to this country and the pace at which they're trying to change this country. That's what people fear, and that's what's keeping them up at night. They're looking at what is happening, how China is emboldened, how the left is emboldened. So you blame so so what I'm Senator Senator Blackburn, you blame them because they they placated and voted for Democrats and now they got to deal with it because Democrats don't have this capitalist gene in them and don't understand that that fuels our economy. So you have very little sympathy for the hell that they are going to be in. Is that is that what I'm am I reading that right? I I think that it is unfortunate that some of these individuals have opened the door and now this is why they are facing this kind of vitriol from some people. You're right. And, you know, uh, what they need to do is just say, no, we are a company. We're supposed to make a profit for our investors. We supply jobs for people. We deliver a good product. And we are confident in how we serve the public, not only here in the country, but around the globe. Yeah, uh, I just want you, before we go to break, I want you to hear David Sokol, one of the most successful business people with a, especially spent a couple of decades in energy. He was uh, with Teton Capital, used to work for Warren Buffett as a CEO and NetJets, Cut 27. As they follow these ESG uh, uh, initiatives, if you will, they've underperformed all of the other major pension funds in the country. Uh, they, don't, they didn't tell their pensioners that they were investing their money this way. Uh, and, that, and that perhaps it would be a bad idea. You know, this whole thing, Laura, is, is, is part of the breakdown of the institutions that, that make this country great. Uh, you know, this wokeism, uh, virtue signaling, ESG. I mean, you know, trying to, trying to put uh, per- people on a board of directors just for diversity purposes rather than for qualification purposes. Yeah. Uh, and he says he sees it at the highest level. You make this commitment, and now you, now you got to deal with it. And I invest, and you have a 401k. You would think the person who's shepherding your 401k is not going to worry about woke policies. It's going to allow you to invest in things that are going to maximize your profits in your retirement. And he says it's nonstop that they are doing this, trying to be politically correct at the highest levels. It's crazy. <laughs> Well, they're emboldened. The left is emboldened. And the best way we can kind of put a check on this is to be sure that Republicans take the House and the Senate in November so we can put a check on some of this that the Biden White House is doing. Joe Biden is supporting uh, Kamala Harris. It doesn't know what's going on at the border, but she's the czar. Some of these policies that Pelosi and Schumer have been pushing, this bad legislation, 
uh, we need to rein it in. We need to check it. And the best way to do that is to win in November. All right. We'll see what happens. Uh, that you was, got it. It was so disrespectful yesterday in the House floor. I know that never would have happened in the Senate. Senator Marsha Blackburn, thanks so much. When we come back, we'll look at the phones to finish up this hour strong. We have a lot to discuss uh, because we have the, the events at the U.N. We had the, uh, the Fed chair. We're going to take a look at the economy uh, as well as uh, what's coming up this weekend. So don't move. Educating. Entertaining. Enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. I had the practice squad pass. My teammates told me, just tell them you were elevated to the active roster and they'll let you in. But I could tell they didn't quite recognize me. And when I told them I was elevated and they said, look, you don't have the pass for this. And I said, no, I'm a player. And they said, we're sorry, man. And so I totally get where they're coming from. Did they know your name? Did they know who you were? I don't think so. Which is understandable. I mean, I haven't, I got to prove myself in Philly. I had to park with the... With the grinders, with about a half mile away with the tailgaters, and I thought it was a blast, honestly. A few people recognized me, and they were kind of confused, and I had to ask them, you know, where to go. It was kind of inspiring to, to walk through the crowd and, and see how much people love football here, and made me determined, you know, to, I want to be a great player here. Uh, that is Philadelphia Eagles punter, uh, Britton Covey, who was forced to park a half mile away from the players' entrance Sunday when security did not believe he was an actual player. A lot of times, kickers are smaller. Kickers have gotten gradually bigger. To no one's fault, he said, I had to, I had to go ahead there to the practice squad. I left Covey with one solution. He had to park with the general public and walk to the players' entrance to the stadium through the tailgaters. So at least he has a good attitude about it. It's not like they, they told the quarterback, you know, Jalen Hurts, uh, hit the road. I agree. And also, right, um, I feel like we're talking about him and his name more now than had he not had to park a half a mile away. Makes me wonder if there's more to know. More to know. Queen Elizabeth's funeral does not hold a candle to Princess Diana's when it comes to TV ratings in the U.S. and the U.K., but the reality is it's kind of hard uh, to compare the events. The Nielsen numbers are striking. An average of 11.4 million viewers watched the Queen's Day funeral. The next to the 33.2 million people who watched Diana's funeral more than two decades ago in the United States was a little closer among the British. Among 27 million people watched the Monarchs final send off 32 million Dianas. I thought Diana's much more dramatic, much more so, like soap opera like. Uh, she was much more of a real person, not technically in the royal family. You had the breakup with the prince, the affairs, the books. The young kids. And, and the whole thing about the queen is very little controversy. Very not true. a lot happened. She lived a long time in a very ceremonial position. She did. Also, there's a lot more people that can watch via streaming now than you could when Princess Diana passed away. Next, Floyd Mayweather wants to fight Conor McGregor in the 2023 uh, in a real fight, they say. Uh, TMZ asked the legendary boxer about the interest in a rematch. Floyd made it clear that he is, and there's already been conversations about money and location. They fought in 2017. It was a big snoozer. Mayweather won easily with the TKO. Could have knocked him out sooner, in my view. Floyd's rumored to have made $300 million, Connor $100 million. Why wouldn't they want to do it again? Yeah, I know. I mean, who doesn't want the money? He doesn't know how to box. The other guy doesn't know how to fight. Uh, uh, UFC mixed martial arts. It should never happen. I'm telling you, it's done. It was a one-time thing. I wouldn't put the money up. So maybe they'll just get $25 million each. I won't watch. Uh, Conor McGregor should give it another shot, though, and go back to the UFC. Mayweather uh, retired, rich, and he's still not happy. Brian Kilmeade Show.
from high atop Fox News headquarters in New York City. Always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Uh, we're finishing up this hour. Coming to you from 48th and 6th in Midtown Manhattan. Heard around the country. Heard around the world. Uh, this hour, we're going to be joined by Mark Thiessen and Mar- uh, Mike Collius, a reporter based in the Wall Street Journal's Detroit Bureau, where he covers the automotive industry and talks about the folly and how we are not ready for the electric cars. We don't have the infrastructure. We don't have the chips. We don't have the cobalt. We don't have the rare earth. We don't have the batteries. We don't have the way to throw things out. Yet we have this administration, clueless on the free market, jamming this down, all the big firms' throats, saying you got to make the transition, making them build the plants. But they don't have the material. They don't have the infrastructure. And as was pointed out yesterday by David Sokol, they don't even have a universal plug for the cars. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Sponsored by Crunch Fitness. Interested in owning your own business in a growing $30 billion industry? Check out Crunch Fitness at crunch.com. Number three. How long from here should Americans be prepared for that economic pain? How long? I mean, it, it, it really depends on how long it takes for wages and and more than that, prices to, to come down, for for inflation to come down. Yeah, well, I thought you were, so, you know, I thought you were handling that, Mr. Chad Fair. Uh, fair uh, chairman, uh, economy, the Fed, the banking circus on Capitol Hill, and what it all means for you and your family finances. Number two. We're learning those activists suing Florida Governor Ron DeSantis for dropping 50 migrants on Martha's Vineyard are heavily funded by George Soros, receiving nearly $1.4 million from his Open Society Foundations. Uh, bring it on. That's the message from Governor DeSantis as the illegal immigrants who landed in Martha's Vineyard now lawyer up to sue DeSantis. That clown show overwhelms the bigger news that there was a massive seizure in Florida of fentanyl that, if was put out in the market, could have killed four million people. Number one. This investigation revealed that Donald Trump engaged in years of illegal conduct to inflate his net worth to achieve, to deceive banks and the people of the great state of New York. Great state of New York. Letitia James, the attorney general. What an embarrassment. Trump attack reaches new lows. As an AG makes it clear, this is personal and political. What the civil lawsuit says and why Trump needs to win for all of us, meaning his supporters and detractors. And what do I mean by that? It's because if you could just be targeted because the attorney general doesn't like you or your party or your family, uh, then we have no hope because he can lawyer up and fight back. You and I can't. Mark Thiessen, former chief speechwriter for Bush, Fox News contributor, Washington Post columnist. Uh, Mark, welcome back. What's your take on this? Good to attorney- be with you, Brian. What's your take on the attorney general lawsuit? Well, two things. Number one, it's obviously political. She campaigned on a promise to go after Trump, um, and she's alleging that he defrauded banks. Well, if he defrauded banks, then why aren't the banks suing him? Like, what, 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 is, I know. what does she have to do with any of it? So, so it's obviously political, and it's part of a political strategy on the part of the Democrats to get us to talk about Trump instead of talking about Biden. They want us to focus on Trump and all of the chaos and everything like that, and so they're going after him. But the purpose is to get us to stop talking about Biden's serial disasters, Biden's inflation, Biden's border crisis, uh, the worst crime wave since the 1990s, the fact that that food prices are higher than they've been since 1979, housing prices are higher than they've been since 1984, and all of these things, it's, it's, it's part of a campaign. And so we on the right have got to stop taking the bait. I, I truly don't care 
a flying rat's patootie about Donald Trump for the next three months. It, it should not be what we're talking about. We should be talking nonstop about Biden and the disasters, because all of this is a don't look over here. Look at this effort. And we and we on the right just fall for it. We just do it. Well, I mean, uh, put it this way, to talk about Trump. But, but in a way, it is a couple of things. I mean, it is a big story when a former president has an entire company sued sure. for two hundred twenty five million dollars. So you do not sure. cover it. We don't have yeah. to lead with it. Uh, yeah, but exactly. I mean, obviously, we can't ignore it. And and all the rest of it. But we got to be conscious of what they are trying to do. They're trying to get us to talk about this. They're trying to get us to stop talking about that. And and so we yeah absolutely got to cover it. Got to mention it. Got to you know report on it. It's news. But don't we we've got to like our ecosystem should be focused on Biden at least at least until November eighth. Yeah. After that, we can talk about whatever we want. But there's two you know, issues that could save the Democrats: Donald Trump, Mar-a-Lago raid, this, and the number two is the Dobbs decision. But right now, with the economy getting this tenuous, at the very least, everybody knows it. The Fed chairman said it. All these CEOs of these major banks revealed it. The the yeah. the, the economy is teetering, not on the macro level, in the micro level. The one that everybody's talking about because there's nowhere to escape it. There's no safe haven in this. Yeah, you're right. And look, here's the thing. I don't think that the that Dobbs can tip the election because if the if if in the midst of the worst inflation in four decades, the worst collapse of real wages in four decades, the worst border crisis in American history, the worst crime wave since the 1990s, uh, and all of these serial disasters, people paying you know highest gas prices on record, even though they're falling a little bit, they're still 25 percent higher than when Biden took office. If amidst all of that, the Dobbs decision can can tip the election. It wasn't the Dobbs decision. It was a lot of other stuff. And Republicans are going to have to take a very hard look in the mirror if we don't have a red wave that sweeps the Democrats out of both houses of Congress. It'll be because it'll be mm. because we picked the wrong candidates. It'll be because we've talked about the wrong things, and it will be because voters didn't look at Joe Biden and say, hey, he's doing a pretty good job after all. They looked at the Republicans and didn't like the alternative. I don't think that's going to happen necessarily. I think we're going to, despite ourselves, Republicans are going to go ahead and win um, uh, fairly decisively. But if, it, but if, it, if, it, if we win narrowly or if we don't, or if we don't take both houses, it's on us. It's not on Dobbs. It's not on, on anything else. It's, it's on the Republicans not offering a palatable alternative to Democrats mm-hmm. and, to, uh, and, to, and to swing voters who are hurting under Biden but still decided that they would vote for the Democrats. See, it's interesting. If there was a major story about trade, manufacturing, or a war, you could say, well, there's some people aren't affected. With the economy, everybody's affected. Uh, even yeah. if you're an investor, if you if you have a fixed income and if you if, if you're uh, hanging out in retirement, you're saying, oh, my goodness, this is getting serious. If you're thinking about retiring, wow, I got to put that on hold. You're thinking about buying a car, buying a house, selling a house, selling a car. It affects you. So the banking CEOs were brought up to Capitol Hill. Here's what they said about the economy. Cut 26. I think there's a chance, not a big chance, a small chance of a soft landing. That inflation is impacting those who can afford it the least. I would suggest that I think inflation is going to be a little bit stickier um, than we would like. I think we're fortunate to have had the consumer in good health entering into this. um, But we do expect we're going to be in for tougher times ahead. So, I mean, that's uh, most of these people preside over banks 
that supported Democratic candidates. And this is exactly what they're getting. So I hardly don't think I think they're culpable. Now they're being pressured to divest uh, from all fossil fuel companies that hurts our country and hurts investors. It's it's absolutely absurd. I mean, the the I. There was a great article in the Wall Street Journal a few weeks ago about a, by a reporter, not, a, not an opinion writer, a reporter who tried to drive from New Orleans to Chicago and back in an electric car. And the, and the travails for which she went through trying to charge her car and get from one place to the other. And when she came back and she got back in her gas car and went to gas, she, her, the last line was something to the effect of the sweet smell of gasoline. <laughs> So, you know, this, this, we are we are not ready for this. We and I quite frankly, I don't think we should ever be ready for this. Why? We, where, where do we get all the all the ingredients for uh, for uh, for these batteries? China, from China from China, Congo. So we just we just achieved under Trump. We just achieved energy independence for the first time from the Middle East, where we were dependent on the Middle East for decades for our oil. And with and that had all sorts of national security implications and all the rest of it. And so we finally achieve energy independence and the Democrats want us to now become dependent on China. Why? Why would we do that just from a national security standpoint? Why in God's greener after we just went through the pandemic that China unleashed on us and found that we were dependent on them for antibiotics and for all these supplies of uh, that? Why would we now make ourselves dependent on them for transportation? So listen to the president. Yes, I listen. I hear you. Uh, I'm going to try to pretend as if I don't believe every word you just said to make the show better. Uh, but the president brought that Mark up. You ignorant slut. How dare me? How dare I? Cut thirty. Uh, cut thirty-eight. That's why the United States, together with fellow G7 partners, launched a partnership for global infrastructure and investment. We intend to collectively mobilize six hundred billion dollars. An investment through this partnership by 2027. Dozens of projects are already underway. He goes on, cut 39. These are investments that are going to deliver returns, not just for those countries, but for everyone. The United States will work with every nation, including our competitors, to solve global problems like climate change. Climate diplomacy is not a favor to the United States or any other nation. And walking away hurts the entire world. Really? I, I think we heard a lot less when we walked away. Yeah. So you're an old man like me. So you remember the Cold War, right? You grew up during the Cold sure. War like I did. During the Cold War, what did the left want to do? They want, we, as the Soviet Union blew up the first nuclear weapon, and we were in an arms race, and we finally achieved nuclear superiority, which is what helped us win the Cold War. And what were they for? Nuclear disarmament. As soon as we got the, the, the capability to defend ourselves and deter the Soviets, they wanted to, deter, to, to get rid of it, unilaterally give up, unilaterally disarm. Now we have energy independence. <laughs> and, what are they, we, and, and this is a national security weapon in our hands. If China, if China is completely dependent on, on the West for oil to grow their economy, if they tried to invade Taiwan, the play is to shut off the Straits of Malacca and cut off their supplies of oil, which would grind their economy to a halt. So what does the left want to do? They want energy disarmament. It's the same play as in the Cold War. It's, they, they, whenever America achieves strategic superiority over our adversaries in any area of national security, their, their natural reaction is to unilaterally disarm. 
And that's what they're advocating here. We should not be getting rid of uh, fossil fuels because we are, we are the world leader in fossil fuels. And other people are dependent on us for fossil fuels. Why would we want to give up that strategic advantage? To save the world so we could stop having heavy rains and hurricanes. There are no more hurricanes now than there were 100 years ago. I hear you. And, and, the, and, and there are no more, the, the highest temperatures and heat waves are no more uh, bigger than they were 100 years ago. The, yes, global, global climate change is happening, but we can't stop it. What we can do is mitigate so what we should be investing in is not destroying our economy so that we get to stop something that cannot be stopped. We should be building, you know, the global sea is going to rise over the next hundred years. Guess what? Amsterdam has been living under, under sea level for, for, for centuries. There are a hundred million people who live below sea level. It's very cheap to build dikes. It's not very cheap to turn your entire economy by central planners into from uh, from from fossil fuels into into electric cars. That's that's right. much more expensive. So I want you I want you to hear the uh, the battle that uh, adds more depth to this fight. Squad member Rashid Talib and Jamie uh, Dimon of uh, J.P. Morgan Chase. Cut twenty five. You have all committed, as you all know, uh, to transition the emissions from lending and investment activities to align with pathways to net zero in 2050. So no new fossil fuel production starting today. That's So that's like zero. So I would like to ask all of you and go down the list, because, again, you all have agreed to doing this. Please answer with a simple yes or no. Does your bank have a policy against funding new oil and gas products? Mr. Diamond. Absolutely not. And that would be the road to hell for America. Yeah, that's fine. That's fine, sir. You know what? Everybody that got relief from student loans has a bank account with your bank should probably take out their account and close their account. because You obviously don't care about working class people in frontline communities like ours that are facing huge amounts of high rates of asthma, respiratory issues and so much more. Cancer rates are so high (laughs) among my communities that I represent. I mean, it's unbelievable. Oh, you don't care about kids with cancer among the the working class. You know what? These are the same Democrats who are telling us that they're doing everything they can to get gas prices down. Right. But they don't want to invest in any. You know, we're you know all these all these uh, blackouts that you have in California and other places like that. Why is that? Because they've told the, the Biden administration says set, set a policy. I don't know if people know this. They have an official policy of that there will be no coal plants in America in eight years, by 2030. So if you run a coal plant, are you going to put capital into into uh, inve- improving your coal plant and making it function better, nope. or are you going to just shut it down? And so they're shutting down coal and 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 they're shutting down all these fossil fuels before they have an alternative that is sustainable. Do, you, do people know that there are no batteries? In commercially available that can store wind and solar energy, it doesn't exist. So if you turn to wind and solar and there's no wind or sun, you've got no electricity. Right. So what People do you do? Understand this. I know. Do we have to? We have to fail. Do we have to fail and have everybody Apparently, just thrown out of office? It's it, it, it's like where it's there's a great word that I've I never succeeded in putting into a presidential speech, but it's called cacistocracy, which is a government of the worst and stupidest people. 
<laughs> we are being run by a cacistocracy. We are being run by people who are who are who are intellectually incapable of understanding basic facts about how an economy works, and they want to centrally plan it and force people like Jamie Dimon, who do understand how economy works, bully them into investing in the stuff they want instead of the stuff that they that that, that the country needs. It's just insanity. Right, and and lastly on this, and because I'm up against it, but. In many cases, these CEOs got behind these Democratic candidates, and this is this is they're like they're they're now reaping those rewards. Yeah, a hundred percent. Look, this is the, the 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 parties have switched. The and this is the irony of Rashida Tlaib going after Jamie Dimon is that he's one of them. He's on their side. The, 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 the parties have switched. The Democrats used to be the party of the working class, and the Republicans were the party of big business. And today, the Republican Party is the party of the working class and small government and small, bi- and, and small, uh, small businesses. And the Democrats are the party of the elites. That's why they are taking money away from working class Americans to yeah. pay for the graduate degrees of people who work for Jamie Dimon. And, I hear you. And, and, and harassing him and telling him he shouldn't have they should they should pull their money out of his bank when he's when he's helping fund them. And when the government already took over all those bank all that money from all those banks a long time ago under Barack Obama, Mark Thiessen, uh always great. Thank you. Thank you, Brian. I got him fired up for the rest of the day. When we come back, your calls one eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. Learning something new every day on the Brian Kilmeade Show. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Let's go out to the phones. Alex, let's on WABC. Alex. Hey, good morning, Brian. By the way, you guys don't have to send Steve Ducey all the way to Florida to make some of breakfast. You know, I'm here in New York City right next to you guys. I would enjoy breakfast like the one that he would made. Would you actually morning. answer the kidding. phone if we knocked on there at, seven, at 6 in the morning? Uh, yeah. Yes, I would. I right. would. Uh, six in the morning is maybe a little too early, but it was at like eight forty. But I wanted to comment about Ron DeSantis getting sued by Martha's yes. Vineyard, and you know they're suing him on behalf of the illegal immigrants that he sent there for misleading these illegal immigrants. But I think what he should do is he should go and sue the people that threw these illegal immigrants out of Martha's Vineyard on behalf of the illegal immigrants because Martha's Vineyard considers itself a sanctuary city that welcomes everybody, yeah. and they misled these illegal immigrants because these illegal immigrants thought that be welcomed with open arms by Martha's Vineyard. Yeah, because usually the illegal immigrants can't hop on a ferry and get in there. They'd probably be stopped before that. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. There was a great article in the Wall Street Journal a few weeks ago about a, by a reporter, not, a, not an opinion writer, a reporter who tried to drive from New Orleans to Chicago and back in an electric car. And the, and the travails for which she went through trying to charge her car and get from one place to the other. And when she came back and she got back in her gas car and went to gas, she said, the last line was something to the effect of the sweet smell of gasoline. <laughs> You know, we are we are not ready for this. Right. No one has to explain it to Mike Collius. He's a reporter with The Wall Street Journal, not the one Martise was referring to, but a similar story uh, uh, with the Detroit Bureau where he covers the automotive industry. And we really need to know what's going on because the president was just there and he wants everyone driving an electric car. Mike, uh, thanks so much for joining us. Read your column. I learned so much. First off, as willing as the CEOs were to 
bring on the electric car and mass manufacturing. What have they discovered about the current situation today when it comes to consumer demand and how the infrastructure is? Yeah, I mean, I think they've laid out a bunch of big plans, right? I mean, you know, GM was first on record saying by 2035, they're going to be all all electric, you know, for most of the others by now have made similar pronouncements. I mean, I think the issue is, you know, they want to make this move, but there are two things. Number one, all their profits today come from internal combustion. And so there's a little trepidation, even even with the companies saying they want to make this move. Um, you know, I think they've done so a little bit hesitantly, and it's, it's made it hard for them to get out of the gate. Uh, there is some early demand, like early adopters uh, are, are looking at some of these new, you know, Ford Lightning, Chevy Silverado, some startups like Rivian, you know, they, like people, at least early on, people want this stuff. Uh, but the car companies are kind of stumbling out of the gate producing them. We don't have the raw material. We don't have the charging stations. We don't have the infrastructure. It's been a year. We haven't really done anything with that. And I found out yesterday we haven't even agreed on the type of plug uh, from GM to Ford to Tesla. They all plug in differently. What if you get to a station and my plug doesn't work? Yeah, there's there's no doubt that infrastructure is a big hurdle to a lot of this. I mean, to your point, a lot of these things don't work on the same car. You know, Tesla is different than a lot of the others. You might get to the charging station and, you know, the thing doesn't take your credit card or it's broken or, you know, they're all taken up. Um, there, there are several big hurdles to some of the, the big targets that have been put out there. I think, you know, the White House has said half by half of uh, total car sales will be EVs by 2030. A lot of the companies have kind of put out similar goals. Infrastructure is a big one. The other one that's emerging as, as a big one is, you know, are there going to be enough batteries to really do this? Um, you know, all the, the costs of stuff like lithium and nickel uh, have skyrocketed in the last year and a half. Who has uh, lithium and nickel? Where do we get that? Yeah, I mean, lithium can come from all over, but and nickel, you know, you, Ukraine, uh, th- there was a problem early on in the war because quite a bit of nickel comes from Ukraine. The biggest issue is a lot of this stuff is processed in China. And, you know, they're, they're under the new IRA, there's a bunch of incentives to bring a lot of this stuff to the U.S., but it's going to take years and years, and people worry that there's going to be a battery shortage before that even happens. You say prices for nickel and lithium and other battery raw materials have shot up. The CEO of uh, Ford, uh, Jim Farley, who I went and did a feature with on the Ford Lightning, said in July he wanted that only half of the battery material, raw materials the auto industry needs to achieve its long-range EV sales targets are available today. Only half. He goes, that's why speed is in securing the supply is so critical, which is true. And a lot of it's in China, and we got to agree to do some stripping here. A lot of people don't want to do that. They don't think it's environmentally uh, conscious. It's something that we should be doing. Uh, so you can't have it both ways. But the demand was there, but no one can do it. And what he told me, too, is like we got our early – we got our, all our people sending their $100 deposits, but we don't have the cars. Now people are pulling their money back saying, I'm going to go somewhere else because there's no hope of getting more cars. We don't have chips for the combustion engine right now. And Yeah, the, the Lightning is a really good example. Like that, That's gotten a lot of buzz, really cool truck. I've, I've gotten into it. Um, so have there, I. And there's, there's a ton of – uh, you know, hand raisers for that thing. People put up, put their hundred bucks down, but this is going on a year and a half now. I mean, they showed it in May of 2021 is when the, the sheets came off the thing. Right. And there's, I've talked to many people who are still, you know, signed up that day and are still on the waiting list because 
I think, number one, Ford wasn't sure that there was going to be demand. So they set their production targets um, probably a, a little timidly. And now they, they wish they hadn't. And they're scrambling to get the batteries they need to ramp up beyond what they expected. But those the batteries are hard to come by. So it's just it's kind of like the, the traditional automaker. You know, Tesla's in pretty good shape. They're the only ones making this stuff at scale right now. The traditional car companies are struggling to get out of the gate, even though there is signs that maybe there's more demand than people thought. Right. People have their, but but the auto industry can't answer the call. Also, there's that 7500 tax credit. So we'll see how long that stays in place to make it cost affordable. And you, as you write in your story, I did not know this, you need a lot more chips for an electric car than you do a, a standard car. And I was at the dealership the other day, and they say, we are delivering cars without heated seats, without a lot of luxury items. And we told them, get back to us in a year. And now I have people calling me. It's been a year, and we're still not getting them. And that's not the electric car. These are normal cars. So when these politicians get up and say, we need to make this transition, and it's not there yet, I think it's up to the auto industry. You know the business better, Mike, to stand up for itself and say, guys, back off. We don't have the battery material. We don't have... We don't have the manufacturing capability yet. Is that correct? No, that's right. I mean, a, a couple things on that point. Number one, you're right. Across the board, you know, anyone who's gone to buy a new car knows that the, the market's a mess. You, you can't even go and, like, test drive anything on the lot because they have barely any cars. You know, they're backlogged for – I mean, they, they think they have enough demand. Like, even if we go into recession, they, they think they're still going to be selling cars. Uh, they've got enough demand to, to fill for a, a year or two. And they don't think they're going to get any inventory because of the primarily the chip situation, other supply chain stuff. But in terms of in terms of just this pivot to EVs, it's it's a rare case of the regulators in the industry right now are kind of on the same side of things. They both want to push in this direction, but I think they're they're sort of hesitant to admit that there's some big barriers. We talked about them: infrastructure, uh, the raw materials you need, and then the one we haven't talked about is the grid and whether that's ready. And that's a, that's a huge question around some of these 2030 targets. And I'm told the grid burns with coal. In a lot of places it does. So your EV might not be as clean. You know, it all depends on where the source of your electricity comes from. So the industry that's getting a lot of focus is not ready. The infrastructure is not there. You need a private company that I know was financed, uh, some of through federal government, uh, Tesla, to take the entire process on. So he didn't construct, he didn't make a car that he couldn't charge. They're building their own Tesla charging stations. So he looked at the complete picture. Is that different from the other automakers? Look, I mean, there is no question that Tesla is years and years ahead of the rest of the industry. They're trying to catch up in just about every phase of this. The the supercharger network, um, you know, a lot of people thought was a dumb idea to begin with. It's turned out to be really smart. You know, people who buy Teslas don't have to worry, at least, you know, up until recently. I mean, we've seen some instances where, you know, Tesla owners have been frustrated because they, you know, there's more people driving Teslas now. So there's, there's more demand on those charging stations, but yeah, he, he thought of all these things that the industry is now just catching up to. They're trying, you know, the regulators are trying to help pour money into it, but I think it's sort of a bit of a drop in the bucket in terms of of what you need. Now, if you have a garage and you can afford a thousand dollar charger in your home and you want to commute in an EV, that's, that's very doable today. Road trips get trickier, but for a big chunk of the population, EVs work really well. 
Um, but in, before it's going to be a while, I think, before we get to sort of a mass market adoption of these things. And then there could be barriers that keep us from getting there in the first place, as we've talked about. Uh, Mike Colius, our guest. Mike, uh, when we, we talk about this uh, currently, we want, to head, we want to get these mass produced uh, around the country, around the world. So as we look at where China is right now, uh, are we, when you look at the raw material, is it for the most part we have to use China? Yeah, so one of the requirements for that IRA to get the 7500 bucks, if you're a consumer, the car can't have had anything processed by China, and which right now nobody will qualify for. And so they're, they're hashing out those rules now. They're not in effect yet. So some EVs do qualify for the 7500 But the industry is trying to figure out how to sort of right. de-Chinify their, their vehicles. And it's really hard because most of the, the battery materials get processed in China. And so they've got to they've fix that, and it's not an overnight solution. Mike Glassley, uh, when, we, when we're looking now at uh, a situation where we want to be able to buy these cars, then now we understand that we don't know the length of the battery. We don't know if it's going to be like our iPhone. When we first get it, it holds that charge. The longer we use it, the less it holds the charge. So if you're trying to forecast how far you can go on a charge, it depends how old the car is. We also hear that it could be twenty dollars to $30,000 for a new battery. So six years in, you might be by making a $20,000 investment in your car. You're a car guy You at the Wall Street Journal. What is the reality there? I don't think there's a whole lot of concern around battery life for these EVs at this point. I mean, I think uh, 150,000 miles, 200,000 miles shouldn't be a problem with most of these new EVs coming out. You know, a lot of them are going to have probably bigger warranties than under with a normal gas engine car because they realize that some people might be hesitant. Um, recycling of these things, the used market, that's all stuff that needs to get sorted out. Uh, but right now, I think, you know, I would personally, I wouldn't look at an EV purchase with any more trepidation in terms of reliability of the powertrain than I would a gas engine car today. That's just that's just my read on it. All right. And uh, when it comes to rapid charging, how long will it take? Like It takes, what, five minutes to fill up your car, 10 minutes? How long will it take to charge this F, uh, the Lightning F-150 or any of these substantial cars? Yeah, I mean, that gets back to the infrastructure problem, right? Like, these chargers are all different. So if you get a fast charger and you're in a, in a vehicle that can, can take a fast charge, because not all of them take it at the same speed, but a Lightning, you could probably top off 100 miles in maybe, you know, 20 minutes or so. Uh, and you could be good to go. Other cars, it might not be that easy. And if you get to a charger that's, uh, you know, a level two charger, let's say, and it's, it takes a lot longer, you're going to have to wait. And if you're on a world trip, you got to do some planning before you get behind the wheel. Yeah. And I don't know if people are ready for that. And the other thing would be, uh, the other thing would be you charge your car and, and you see how long it takes to charge it. That's one thing. And then number two, how much does it cost? How many times a gas station is going to let you plug in your car for free? Is it going to be like, they're charging us for air now? So how much are they charging when it's all said and done? Am I losing money? I know I could go more than 60 miles, 100 miles on a tank of gas. So now I can only go 100 miles on a charge, and then I'm going to get charged for the charge, right? Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, anyone who's buying an EV today should look at sort of their own uh, electric rates and, and what they're paying their utility for charging at home, because most people are going to be charging at home. 
Um, the public chargers, it depends on these speeds, like the higher speed ones are going to charge more. But by and large, you're going to be spending less than you would on gas, but it can get up, it can get up there if you're on a fast charger on a highway that's charging a premium, you know, and, and it's, it's, it's going to be different for every different use case and different chargers, different locations. So it's all, you know, you kind of got to do your homework if you're going to get into one of these. As the headline reads, electric cars took off, car makers weren't ready. He details it in his column in the Wall Street Journal. Mike Colius, thanks so much. You bet. Thanks for having me. All right. Uh, 1-866-408-7669. I see your calls up there. We'll get to it when we come back. You're listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show. This weekend, check out Brian's new show on Fox News Channel. Because apparently he's cheaper than infomercials for nonstick pans. That is not true. Chill out, Gutfeld. That really hurts. One Nation with Brian Kilmeade. Saturdays at 8 p.m. Eastern on Fox News Channel. More of Brian coming up. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Welcome back, everybody. Just want to remind you, uh, I got a couple of events coming up that I hope that I can see you in person, especially if you're in the Oklahoma area. Tulsa, Oklahoma, November uh, 13th, KRMMG listeners. Hope you could join me. <clears throat> and then Brandon, Mississippi. Yep, let's go to Brandon, uh, Mississippi, November 12th. So some tickets left. It's uh, you've given me an opportunity to talk to you guys, meet you in person, and then of course be able to talk about my books and put history in perspective. Uh, the latest one coming out on paperback is the President of Freedom Fighter Abraham Lincoln, Frederick Douglass, and the Battle to Save America's Soul. We talk about race. You need it in perspective. Even Bill Maher was talking about presentism. Everybody wants to look at today's news and say, why weren't John Adams exactly like JFK? Uh, why wasn't uh? Why weren't uh, uh, why was slavery existed? You know, why was segregation happening? We got to put people in their time, understand what's going around the world. And that's what I try to do through these books and through these conversations. It's been really dynamic and I've enjoyed it. We just came off a show in Albany, New York, and I cannot wait to do it again and expand it on November 12th and 13th. Just go to BrianKillMe.com. And of course, we got One Nation Saturday night uh, covering all the breaking news like this show. Uh, Brian, uh, Brian, you are in Illinois. Hey, Brian. Yes. Um, as far as the cost of a uh, car, I have a Kia EV6. I just got like for a month and a half or so. Um, with my home charger, it charges about $0.12 cents a kilowatt hour. So I use 395 kilowatt hours, which is about $45 for one month. Um, driving to Indianapolis. What, what kind of car like, is it? I, I've never heard of it. What kind of car? A Kia EV6. Oh, Kia. And how, does it seat yeah, four? Yeah. Is it a small car? Uh, no, it's like a crossover. It's a four-door. Okay. Uh, do you like it? Nice inside. You like it? Yeah. And yeah. Can you get tra- uh, Where do you go if you're traveling and you don't know where you're, you know, you're just looking at your GPS and traveling someplace? How do, how do you know where the stations the are? They have a thing on the screen so you can find charging stations. And um, there's like Charge America and stuff like that. But they charge like forty three cents a kilowatt hour for those. Okay, and, and so you see, so and you, how much did it cost you? Um. Well, when I, when we bought the car, they gave us a thousand kilowatt hours free with uh, Charge America. So um, I'm still using the free hours on that. So that's nothing. Gotcha. All right, sounds good. Uh, go get a Kia. It's not a hybrid. It's purely electric, right? Yes. Got it. 
Interesting. Uh, Don, WNIS in Virginia Beach. Hey, Don. Hey, Brian. Uh, two comments. One on the uh, electric vehicles. There are like 240 million vehicles in this country. Uh, less than 10% are uh, hybrid or uh, total electric. So that's a, a little bit of a hurdle uh, to overcome. So just let me just qualify that, Don. Just so you know, I was talking about trends. People are buying them now. So go ahead. Oh, no, I, I agree. But uh, five less than 5% of all uh, vehicle sales today are are, um, are electric. Okay. So but now the other thing I wanted to say, though, and this is the more important thing, I'm retired and uh, with about a 10% inflation rate, which is where I think we'll be by the end of the year, you got to add to that the 20% that my retirement plan money has decreased the stocks and bonds so far this year. Wow. So that guy's hurting me in the pocketbook by 30% a year. And, and I've never heard of that. Will right that there. affect how you vote? Not, 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 no, I was ready to go the other way anyway. <laughs> Thanks so much. I'm sorry you're experiencing that, though. That's the reality check. You don't need the Fed chairman to tell you what the economy's like. You ask a guy like Don. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, in these ever-changing times, you can rely on Fox News for hourly updates for the very latest news and information on your time. Listen and download now at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.